0: Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's work in the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit's work in the birth of the church. This is where the church is birthed. Oftentimes when I speak to my unbelieving friends, they try to relate what it's like to plant a church. I think they're trying to be kind to me. Some of them own their own businesses. Um, And they'll say, well, well well-meaning, they think, "Uh, you just kind of dream and go forward. Or they may have a business, so they see planting a church as some kind of business venture. Maybe if you have good advertising, focus on networking, market to a felt need. And sadly, many Christians believe this too, that a church is simply a business or a church is just a networking place to be. But this is not what the church is. What they fail to realize is the profoundly supernatural nature of the church. What they miss in lieu of cheap marketing tricks and crowd gathering and Twitter followings and Instagram clicks is the true work of the Spirit. Christ, by His Holy Spirit, started the church, maintains the church, purifies the church, and will glorify the church. It's not dependent on its popularity with the world, but with His own sovereign work when He said, Jesus said, In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. In Acts chapter 2, Brother Mike read it, verses 1 to 13. We're going to see that God desires that you would clearly understand the supernatural beginning of the church by the Holy Spirit. The church started supernaturally, the church is maintained supernaturally, the church is being built supernaturally. It is not on man's philosophies, it's not on man's wisdom, it's on the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to glorify the Son of God. Now first, we see here, there are three observations of the Spirit's work in the birth of the church. Three observations to consider. And this is a historical record of our church. This is our beginning. This is our heritage. So first, in verses 1 to 4, we see the Holy Spirit's fulfilled promise. We're going to unpack what this means. The Holy Spirit's fulfilled promise. He says here in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come. And you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know, verse 7, Times or epics when the Father has fixed. And then in verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And we kind of change how people see the book of Acts. Sometimes they say it's the Acts of the Apostles, but the way the text reads, it really is the Acts of Jesus Christ. Building the church through the Holy Spirit, right? As he works through the apostles. And so Jesus promised them, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. You will testify of me. You will speak of my glory. He says here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And it comes in such a fashion that they are not ready for it. It's so fantastic that they weren't expecting it at all. And so he picks this appointed day, God picks this appointed day and he says, "When the day of Pentecost had come." Now, in order for understand the imagery and the order for us to understand what God is doing, we got to understand what Pentecost is. Pentecost is the feast of weeks or harvest. In Exodus 34 verses 22 and 23 it says, "You shall celebrate the feast of weeks That is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Listen to this. He says, three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. So it is a feast that was instituted in Exodus. It is a feast of first fruits. That is, when someone plants and when someone gardens and when someone has a field, it's the thing that is first, that first springs up. And in God's economy and in God's holidays, as he is to be celebrated and thanked, he says, I am to get the first fruits. I'm to get the ones that first come up. And he says, three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. And then we know that later to be the temple. You see, this day of Pentecost was one of the important high holy days for the Israelites, for the Jews. And what occurred is, as God orchestrated all of this, He orchestrated the important events of Christianity to fall on these holidays. It's amazing. Just think about it. When was Christ killed? When did He die? He died on Passover. And Passover, the imagery of that is to have an unblemished lamb and his blood was to be poured out on the doorposts and the two mantles. And as the angel of death crossed over, he would pass over the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. He would pass over them and then kill the firstborn of the Egyptians who were enslaving them. And just as Passover was linked to the same day when Christ, our Passover lamb, was slain, now the metaphor applies To the day of Pentecost. So just as Christ was. The fulfillment of that Passover. Now we have the Holy Spirit being. The fulfillment. Of the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was. There was a waiting period. This day is not separate from what's being discussed in the previous chapter in chapter one they're told to wait in chapter two the time has come in chapter one the power is promised in chapter two the power is received in chapter one disciples are hiding in chapter two disciples are public in chapter one it's a far-reaching ministry that is prophesied in chapter two it is a far-reaching ministry realized in chapter One, Christ is departing, and in chapter Two, Christ is arriving by the Spirit, the Spirit, excuse me, the Spirit is arriving. So there are two ways this metaphor is explained. First, the Holy Spirit is the first fruits to us. We know this from Ephesians chapter one and other places that, in him, after you've listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 114 says, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. He is that first portion. The Holy Spirit is the first portion to us of what we are to experience in heaven. But this is what's amazing. The early church... Is here in the 120 that are in the upper room. Notice he says here. Chapter 1 verse 15. Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together. So we know this to be. It's probably the same 120. And what happens is here. As they are waiting for the spirit. The early church. These 120 people are saved. They've been saved. And they now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They are now baptized with the Holy Spirit. They are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now they have the sign gift of tongues given by the Holy Spirit. In fact, for all the ages to come, brothers and sisters, they, Acts chapter 2, are the first fruits of his redeemed. Amen. And we are the rest of the crop. Now it was a sovereign act. Notice in verse two, the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, and so what was occurring is, uh, just as the Exodus said that their males should show up during the during the uh, festival of uh, the harvest festival of first fruits, and so they come from all over parts of all over the, the diaspora of the Jews. They come from all over parts, all other parts of uh, where they were settled, and in. Verse 2, we see the sovereign act. Suddenly, it's when God decided. It's not an elite spiritual requirement. And the reason why I have to say it this way is because there are some who would teach some heretical teaching that says that the Holy Spirit is only for those who are higher spirituality. The Holy Spirit is only for those who have a higher uh, sense of God. The Holy Spirit are those who wait for the sense of of the Spirit and who have prayed in a certain way or have done this and have done that and they are more spiritual. That's false. The Holy, God comes, the Holy Spirit comes in His sovereign timing and He comes suddenly. They didn't know of the promise. They did know of the promise, but they didn't know exactly when. He came suddenly. Notice He says in verse 2, there came from heaven a noise like a violent, rushing wind. The noise is to speak of its supernaturality, but it says here it's a, a violent, rushing wind. It was like a violent, rushing wind. It was as if Luke was, didn't have enough words to d- describe what happened. So he has to describe it as like a violent, rushing wind. The Holy Spirit's supernatural coming was so fantastic that he had to use the word like. But we understand this, that even the word spirit has the metaphor of wind and breath. In the Old Testament, the word is ruach. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma. It's the imagery of wind. We know this even from John chapter 3. It says, the wind blows where it wishes And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What happens in verse 3, there is a permanent indwelling. Tongues of fire distributing themselves. It comes, um, it wasn't an actual fire. It appeared to them as tongues of fire. Distributing themselves, they rested on each one of them. Each of the 120 members. In the upper room. It was a uniform work of the Spirit. No Christian was left behind. It was exactly as Jesus has promised. And this is what's wonderful right now, even as New Testament believers, that as we go out to witness, as we go out to testify of what Christ has done, we have the Holy Spirit. But this is His promise. John 14 That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him. Because he abides with you. And will be in you. That is Jesus's promise. Looking forward to Acts chapter 2. Turn with me to John chapter 7. And you'll see it very, very clearly what he says in John chapter 7. Verse 38, he says he's the bread of life. Notice his promise to you, believer, which was initiated in Acts chapter 2, which is continued even now, that you would sense the presence of Christ. He says here in verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him. Who sent me? This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise, out it, raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him on the last day. And then He moves on, as we continue on. Notice He says here, John 7, oh, I'm sorry, John 7 and verse 38, he's promising that the spirit, he says, he who believes in me, as the scriptures said, for his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Look at verse 39. It's defining for us what 38 is. He says, this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here is the promise that Christ gives about the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is that fulfillment. And now, what are those given abilities? Notice, go back with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Initially, we would call this doctrinally. We would call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is when the Holy Spirit indwells you, identifies you, places you in the, in the church. And uh, we would say that that would happen initially. But not only is that in verse 4, and we'll see this later on in subsequent chapters. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The word they're filled I like to use this, I I like to use the definition empowerment for that word, rather than filled. And here's a reason why. There are two different words that are used in the New Testament for filled. One is plerao, and one is pimplemi. And the only reason why I say this is because plerao is the normal filling of the Spirit by which you yield yourself to God's Word, and you yield yourself to His will, and thereby having the Spirit control you. That is called the filling in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. That is what we should yearn for. I need to be filled with His Word. I need to be filled with Christ. I want Christ to take control of me and my decisions. This, I would believe, is a different word. This is the word what we call pimplemi, And this word, more often than not, when you see the word used in Acts as well, is a word that seems to describe an empowerment. Most of the time, it's an empowerment for ministry. Now here, pimple me, he says here, they prayed, um, notice he says here, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and notice what happens. As they are, pimple me, filled with the Spirit, what did they do? They began to speak with tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So now, there is this filling, this sudden empowerment that God gives in order for you to testify. Notice he says here, he and they began to speak to one another. Notice in Ephesians, excuse me, Acts chapter 4. We'll see it again. Acts chapter 4, there is this empowerment that God gives. And I believe this empowerment is still given to us today. Because it is connected to preaching as well. Notice in Acts chapter 4, verse 31 he says here in Acts chapter 4, I'll give you a moment to get there. And as as he, they are preaching, he says, and when they had prayed, verse 31, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And notice, here it is. They were filled, pim play me, not play raw, okay. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what occurs? They began to speak the word of God with boldness you got to understand these people saw Christ who was killed the disciples saw him and they scattered and what has caused them to be bold now they saw the resurrected Christ they know that they are now filled with the spirit and now they have this power to explain scriptures they have a power to testify of Christ they speak Clearly of who, what Christ has done. Notice he says here, we cannot, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What happens is in the Christian is God grips their heart. They have to speak of what they've seen and what they've heard. They have to be gripped. And that's exactly what happens. This pimple me, they are empowered. Notice this is also happened when Paul exerted, and he had he had a um, when he exerted his power that God had given him for the apostles in Acts chapter thirteen. You see this even negatively in verses nine through eleven. Verse nine: Saul, who was also known as Paul, if you recall. He says, Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you are full of all deceit and fraud. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And notice this false teacher, Paul is filled, he is empowered, and now he can act. And so brothers and sisters, I think, and I believe that this empowering is still given to us today as we are doing the things, as we are exercising the gifts that God still gives today. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are pimplemeed by the Holy Spirit. And so these are given abilities. But go back with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And isn't, just, isn't that a wonder? I'm so glad to know that. And when I'm exhausted or when I'm tired or when you're exhausted and when you're tired, you can call out to God and he can fill you with strength. I was I was watching my wife. She was cutting all these things. She She's teaching today. So she's cutting all this construction paper and she's getting ready. And she goes, oh, man, I got to get ready. I said, aren't you tired? It's kind of late. And she goes, yeah, but I have to finish. And it, it's just neat to see. How God empowers his saints to do ministry, to keep going. This is what I believe, what Christ is saying when he says, I will build my church. It's not just the truth. It's not just the principles. My spirit will empower them to go forth. Now, he gives a transitional sign gift. Notice in chapter two, there's a transitional sign gift. He says here, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it says, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So they're filled and now they speak. And in in this context, they're speaking with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, We have to stop and slow down and hit the brakes, okay? And we got to understand what this means. Because if we just kind of gloss over it and keep going, we're just going to add to the confusion of what this uh, gift of tongues really is. Now, the gift of tongues, we're going to talk about that, okay? This is what the gift of tongues was, okay? What it was. It was a transitional sign gift of immediately speaking known human languages without ever normally learning them, okay? It was a transitional, temporary, sign gift. It pointed to something greater, right? That's why we have those signs there. We have a sign so you could come in. You don't go worship at the sign. The sign points to something, It points for you to come in and worship with us, right? It was a transitional sign gift. It's given by the Holy Spirit. You cannot conjure this up. You cannot focus on your inner core and then all of a sudden have this. It's a transitional sign gift of immediately speaking known human languages without ever normally learning them. Known human languages immediately speaking. That's what it is, and I hope to prove that to you by Scripture. What it is not. Here's what it's not. It's not an ecstatic, unknown utterance. There is no text for that. It is not a heavenly language. Notice in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, which we're going to talk about. It says, there are Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were amazed. Verse 7, why are not all these speaking Galilean? Because they're from Galilee. They should only speak one language. And it says, how is it that we each hear them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome. They were known Human languages immediately spoken. It was not gibberish. It was not hocus pocus. It was not abracadabra. It was a known human language. Some might say, well, isn't it a heavenly language? My own personal heavenly language? I say, well, where do you get that? They say, well, it says it in First Corinthians chapter 13. Well, let's go there. First Corinthians chapter 13. We have to see what it is, and we have to see what it is not, okay? First Corinthians chapter 13, notice he says here, this is the great love chapter, right? The great marriage chapter, almost every wedding reads through here. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. See, look, 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 Angelo, Look! It says, I speak with tongues of men and of angels. See, there's a heavenly language. It's my angelic language to which I always say, keep reading. Okay. Notice he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Well, what does that have to do? I have my gift of angels. I have my tongue of angels and my tongues of heavenly places. But notice he says here, what is happening is Paul is using a a rhetorical device, a Greek device, which we call and I'm just telling you this as as by way of grammar so you would know, it's a third-class condition, okay? A third-class condition. And what that means is he's saying that if you go ahead and, even if this were true, but it's not, that's what he's saying, even if it were true, but it's not, then the rest of my sentence would be true. And let me prove it to you. Notice, he says here, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels which is not true but even if I did so it's better to hear it that way even if I did and I don't have love I have become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal see that means it's it exists now he's saying even if it did do you understand even if and here this is this is why we know he says if I have the gifts of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith, notice, so as to remove mountains, where in the scriptures, if that is true, if the first portion is true, where in the scriptures does it say that Paul moved mountains? No, he is using what we call hyperbole. Even if I could move mountains, he says. Even if that were true, but do not have love, I am nothing. Keep going. Verse 3. Even if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. Did Paul do that? There is no scripture that says Paul did that. May have, could he have done it? He probably could have, right? But watch what he says next. And if I surrender my body to what? To be burned. Where does where in the scriptures did Paul surrender his body to be burned he never did he's using hyperbole he's using the third class condition he was killed by what beheading he was not burned to live about it to live still and then write about it he was using hyperbole in the same manner all through Scripture, this is why it's important to have good hermeneutics when you are interpreting Scriptures. He's saying, just even if this were to be true, which it isn't, the rest of this would be true as well. And so to say that chapter 13, verse 1, now I speak in an angelic language, is to pull that from the text is, to be, is also the same and tantamount to pulling the absurdity that Paul himself gave himself to be burned. In other words, it is not an angelic language. What is it clearly? Acts chapter 2. Known languages, which they never learned before. Now, why was the gift given? There's two reasons, okay? Okay. There's two reasons why the gift was given in Acts chapter 2. Well, since we're in Corinthians, let's stay here. The first reason that the gift of tongues was given, it was a sign of judgment to Jews who denied that Jesus was the Christ Messiah. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 notice and verse 21 and 22 notice he says here chapter 14 21 in the law now he's talking to people who would be who would know the law who would understand the law this would be jewish people right he says in the law it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers i will speak to the people even so they will not listen to me this is a prophecy of the judgment that happens on the unbelieving Jews says the lord so verse 22 to make it clear he says so then tongues are for a sign what's the sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers but a prophecy is a sign for two unbelievers but are not but to unbelievers, uh, not to unbelievers but to those who believe so What is he saying? The very fact that God gives this gift where now these Galileans can speak in different languages is proof that he has now judged you for crucifying the Messiah and rejecting belief in him. He is now taking the gospel to the other nations. It is a judgment on Israel. The heretics who teach that the gift of tongues are still here today do not even talk about that. They think it's my personal language. They think it's, it's proof of the Holy Spirit in my life when it's not even talked about what the original purpose of why the gift was given. First, it is a judgment against unbelieving Jews. Second... It is a sign, not only it's a sign of judgment, but it's a sign of inclusion of Gentile, non-Jewish believers to the church. And I'm going to prove that to you. Notice in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we're going to compare it to Acts chapter 11. Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse... 45, okay, so Peter, remember, he was hesitant. He was bigoted in himself. He was racist. Peter was racist. He didn't even want to go, okay? He didn't want to go. He wouldn't have gone unless God brought the vision of the sheet and he told him to eat that which is unclean. He didn't want to go, and then he went. And notice he says here, verse 44, uh this is what he said. Uh let's start verse 40. He starts preaching at the house of Cornelius and he says, "God raised him on the third day, granted him to become visible not to all people but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God." Verse 42, "He, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Look at verse 43. Central to the message of the gospel. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel, brothers and sisters. So, Peter, by his own hesitation, unless God himself sent, didn't send an angel or give him the vision, he wouldn't have gone. And so, Peter goes now in faith. And he's saying, now God is doing something different. I have to listen to him. Maybe the things in my heart need to be repented of. And we know later on, he fell and backslid back into racism, back into bigotry. It's amazing. And Paul had to call him out because he didn't eat with the Gentiles again. Do you remember that? Paul had to call him out. How dare you do that? They are heirs of Christ, just like you. Now, he goes back. While, verse 44, Peter was still speaking these words. Okay, he's preaching. In the middle of preaching, the Holy Spirit interrupts. I want that. I want the Holy Spirit to interrupt our preaching. Right? The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, verse 45. All the circumcised, the Jewish, right? Believers who came with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. Really, prove it to me. Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking with what? Tongues and exalting God. What happens? When someone gets saved, notice it says here in verse 46, they can't help it. Now they're exalting God. They're telling them what He's done, they're telling them of His greatness. And they are shocked, these Jewish believers, these uh, Gentile believers. They're shocked that God would actually save them. They're shocked that God would send his son, a Jewish son, for them, for their sins. They can't help and they explode and exalt. The word there to exalt means to make greater. They can't help it. They have to save. And Peter and those other Jewish believers, they were there. They wouldn't have believed that they were actually saved unless the gift of tongues was given you see the the bigotry ran so deep oh yeah that's good they're they're exalting god that's good that's good okay all right so we still don't need to be around them and rub elbows with them we just kind of just kind of back off and then god says no i'm giving this gift as a sign to you so that you would include them in the church, Peter. So stop the bigotry. And stop the racism. And stop thinking the gospel is not for other kinds of people. That's why he gave the gift. Notice he says it even more clearly. Then Peter says, verse 47, notice. He can't help it now. He's hearing them exalt God. He saw what the Spirit has done. He's hearing with his own ears as they exalt God, verse forty-seven. Surely now he says, "No one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who can be received, who receive the Holy Spirit, just as we did." Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But now compare that to chapter eleven and now verse sixteen. Now. Peter gets back to Jerusalem, and they say, hey, Peter, we heard you let Gentiles into the church. We don't like their kind. We don't want those kind of people. You know, sadly, that still happens today. There's churches that say, we don't like those kind of people. I I have a good friend, he left his posting as a preacher because he was reaching out to unbelieving kids with tats and earrings all over the place, and Piercings all over the place. And the church said, we don't like those kind of kids here. They're spoiling our kids. That's a lie from the devil. Bring them in. Amen? Bring them all. Let them all hear the gospel. We were all condemned like that. See, when you understand the gospel and your condemnation apart from God's work, you will bring them in. So, God has to give this gift because the bigotry ran so deep. And in Acts chapter 11, he says, he says, in Acts chapter 11, notice verse 16, uh, verse uh, uh, 14, he's telling the story. I was at Simon's house, he's a tanner. And he told me to go, and and verse 15, as I began to speak. Now, he's giving testimony of what God did, right, while he was preaching. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John, baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Inclusion into the church. You cannot get away with it. This is exactly what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is saying. Inclusion into the church. Now, verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift, what gift? The gift of tongues. As he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And they stood there, probably reasoning, thinking, you know what? It's right. If they have this miraculous gift, then it is a, surely a blessing on God. And they say, verse 18, when they heard this, all their bickering and all their murmuring, they quieted down and glorified God, again, giving him praise, right? saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So what is the purpose of tongues? The purpose of tongues was a judgment to the unbelieving Jews and an inclusion of Gentile believers to the church. And don't we need that today? Just think about it. Sometimes when we live in California, and, we, and uh, especially, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was I grew up in Vallejo, California. It was rated in two thousand three the most diverse city in the nation by U.S. World Report. And we all kind of just ate each other's food and did whatever. So we didn't really we didn't really deal with that, I guess. It was black people and Mexican and white people. We all just kind of mingled. Were there fights? Sure, there were fights, but it was always across the board. There was fights all over the time. But in this day, in this hour, as racial tensions are flaring up, think about it, brothers and sisters, as racial tensions are flaring up, who needs to speak in this time? The gospel that joins. Who needs to be a voice of the gospel that reconciles people? The church. And we need to be firm about it. I think think it's pretty funny when I was a uh, I know a church where one of the brothers he was a supporter of the Black Panther Party and another part and another brother who was on the elder board was a Neo-Nazi, former white supremacists, and now they're brothers and friends. It all goes away in Christ, true Christianity. And you see, when you think that tongues is simply you see how cheap it, how cheapened it has gotten. It has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with God completing what he said, Jesus said in Matthew 16 about building the church and what he told us to do in Matthew 28 of going into all the nations, of what he promised us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Spirit would empower us to be witnesses in Judea and all other most part of the world. And now in its culmination We have the Holy Spirit so that we can testify to our friends, to our family members. See, how does this meet me? How does this meet you? Maybe you're in high school and you're thinking, how does this even affect me? How does this affect me as a mom? How does this affect me as a dad? This is where it affects you, brothers and sisters. To be firmly convinced that the Messiah you worship is a Messiah for all. And that the Messiah you worship should be shared with all as much as you can. And that the hesitation you feel to share the gospel with someone who may not have the same economic background, or who someone who may not have the same racial background, or someone who may not have the same cultural background, needs to be overcome. It is not simply a preference issue. It is a gospel issue. It's a theological issue. It's at the very heart of Christ where he had to give his spirit to us to understand. When you don't want to share the gospel, when you're hesitant to share the gospel, when, because of these small, small issues, you are running against the very mission of the universe. So you had got to sit secret prejudice that I keep over poor people, over rich people, over black people, over white people, over Mexican people, or Filipino people, or Cambodian, or Asian, or Indian. Forgive me over over my prejudice over that political party, or this political party. They all need Christ. Christ. We have in verses five through eleven. Notice he says in Acts chapter two. I only went through one point, didn't I? Acts chapter two, verses five to eleven. Now the Jews were living in Jerusalem, but not men from every nation. So now, notice the orchestra of God. How he he orchestrated it so that these Jews from Every parts of different nations who now spoke different languages and from, from different places are now s- saved and are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they now have the license to go and share the gospel with other different kinds of folks, right? And how God so planned that at an event during a festival when they would all be there. That's his orchestra. Notice he has a, they all have a distinct experience. Um, and I could read some history, the Parthians, uh, one, one commentator says the Parthians lived in Iran, the Elamites lived in southwestern Iran. I could read all of that. Just the, the whole point of it is that they were different kinds of people. Therefore the festival. And now it was a sign. So that that gift was now going to be seen when Peter preached to the Gentiles. Notice it says here, they all had had a different experience, but they all had the same message. Notice, what's the same message? The same message is, verse 11, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. When God acts and the Spirit fills, They can't help but speak of God's fantastic work. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit's open ridicule. The Holy Spirit's open ridicule. Verses 12 to 13, they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. Isn't that just it, how mankind does that? The unregenerate mind is going to say, what God has truly done, I'm going to I'm going to ridicule it, I'm going to mock it and call it something else. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. In this local church, God has spiritually, supernaturally drawn us together. I believe that. Because he's building this church. He has supernaturally drawn us together. He has supernaturally given us mission. He will continue to supernaturally bring folks so that they can hear the gospel so that they can keep doing the mission okay. let no one say it was because of our marketing because we have lousy marketing. let no one say it was because of all the twitter feeds and app. I don't even do all that right? it is simply the work of God brothers and sisters rely on the work of God rely on the Spirit of God to glorify the Son of God. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, not by might, not by power, but by Your Spirit, says the Lord, we cannot hope to, to further the church of Jesus Christ apart from Your Spirit. Your Spirit. One of the missions of the Spirit is to take the things of Christ and to glorify Him, put a spotlight on Christ. So God, we just are so grateful and so thankful that You have supernaturally baptized us in Your Spirit. You have brought us into Your universal church. We are brought into this local expression of the church. And Lord, we live and we breathe glorifying You. We pray, Father, Would you move? Would you help us to cross those bridges of uncomfortability? Repent of our prejudice. And Lord, help us to bring the gospel to uh, to those who need it everywhere. everywhere, Lord. Lord, we pray you would give us fruit. We pray for a fresh moving of the Spirit by your word that Christ would be revealed through the preaching, through the discipleship, through the home fellowship groups, through communion, through baptism, through all those things, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move, that the glory of Christ would grip the hearts of men and women. Thank you so much. Help us to sing this last song for your.